Welcome to Servium, Latin for I Will Serve, a new podcast series from the Diocese of Rapid City, exploring the vocation to the permanent diaconate. Join me as I visit with some of the deacons who are fulfilling the mission of Christ as servants, sharing their gifts in Western South Dakota. I'm your host, Karen Gibis, and I'm honored to introduce today's guest. We're rolling out the red carpet for one of our deacon candidates. Welcome, Philip. Glad to be here. Can you tell me about your family, your wife, everything that makes up your life as Philip? My wife is Teresa Thompson. When we've been married for 24 years, we will, or this year will be our 25th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Looking forward to that. And we have three children, Kevin Joseph, who's married to Amanda, Rachel Elizabeth, and Benjamin David. My parents are David and Lorraine Thompson, and they're, you know, my background is a Lutheran background. But I do have some, you know, deep Catholic roots. My grandmother, Crystal, is from Germany. She actually comes from a small town called Tronstein, which is actually the same town that Pope Benedict came from. And she's told me that when she was growing up, she, they knew the family. They weren't close by any means, but they're in a small town and everybody knows everybody. Her family was, interestingly, also mixed religion. Her mom was Catholic, but she had sisters that were Lutheran. And she said that one of the reasons she became Lutheran was because of that fact. Over there, she said it caused a lot of stress in the family, and she didn't want to have that. So she said when she came to America, she was going to have one faith, and that was going to be it. So she she picked, she said, I'm going to be a Lutheran, I'm going to practice it, and that's what she did. Her family on the Catholic side, though, too, kind of go Cliff Clavin on you here, but her family, her dad's side, the Enters, they were actually uh, some famous book printers, and they printed a lot of Bibles over in Germany. And we actually have one of those family Bibles from, like, the 1400s, so it's pretty fun. My parents, you know, they were pretty faithful in the, in the early stages when I was, you know, like a child in kindergarten, first, second, third grade. But as I grew older, their faith kind of dwindled a little bit, you might say. And so we didn't go to church very much. But then in uh, junior high, my grandma got involved with my faith life, you might say. And she's like, hey, okay, we got to get this kid back into church. And so she got me into confirmation over at Faith Lutheran uh, here in Rapid City. And, you know, I went there for a couple of years and it was a good introduction back into the faith. But I never finished up. We ended up moving over to Gillette, Wyoming at that time. And when we were there, we didn't go to church very often, but I started getting involved with some friends who were Catholic at the time, and they brought me to CYO. And so that was my first kind of introduction to the Catholic faith, to the point where, you know, I was going to CYO classes over there in Gillette. And even at one point, um, they invited me on a trip to, to Denver, Colorado. And that was fun. We went to a seminary, and they actually took me to the Mother Cabrini Shrine, just uh, west of Golden. And that was actually made a big impact in my life on that trip there. How old were you then? I was probably probably 16, 17 years old. And at the time, you know, you look back at these moments, it's hard to see where God's touching your life. And when you look forward, but as you look backward, it becomes crystal clear. It was interesting because I remember as we're walking up that mountain, I still remember this young man that was sitting there alongside the path, and he was just praying, just praying, eyes closed and praying. And I looked at him, and I was like, you know, you're kind of, you're mystified by what you see. And you start to realize there's something deeper in life than just what you're living as a teenager. And that moment, it stayed with me. And then when me and my wife, Therese, were married, on our honeymoon, we went back down to Denver. And that was one of the places I wanted to go was Mother Karini Shrine. It was a, you know, beautiful moment. But even then, you know, I wasn't Catholic. When was we were, your wife Catholic? She was. She was, yeah. Uh, we're both converts to the faith. 
I think Teresa has a background. She was Presbyterian, and she joined the faith in, I think, about 1986 or 87, maybe later, I'm not sure. And we were married in 1998. And so my family had a strong Lutheran background, and her family had a strong Catholic background. And so it was a mixed marriage, and it was good. And um, funny story, when we were getting engaged, Teresa actually had a child. Kevin Joseph was about a year and a half old, and we went over to her parents' house to announce that we were getting engaged. It's going to be a great day. And her father goes, you know, you're going to raise that child Catholic. And I said, yes, I will. So I knew that this family was pretty serious about their faith. But even then, you know, I still, for whatever reason, I just wasn't ready to join the church. And we Ended up moving out to Sioux Falls and uh, went to school there, went to SDSU. And it wasn't until we came back in about 2003 and one day uh, we were back going to Mass at Piedmont. Of course, I was just, you know, kind of going through the motions. And one day they mentioned that uh, RCIA classes were starting up. And I heard that and got back in the car and told Teresa, I said, well, I think I'm going to join RCI. And she, first thing she says is, well, you're going to tell your mother, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I did tell my mom, and, you know, my mom was fine with it, you know. Of course, strong Lutheran background, they were kind of a little, I don't know if they were upset, but, you know, they just kind of, they were accepting, you know, they were good about it. Was your grandmother alive when you converted to the Catholic faith? My grandmother is still alive. Okay. She just turned 95. Let me reword that then. What did your grandma think when you became a Catholic? Grandma was fine. She was, you know, happy. She's a little stoic, but she was, you know, pretty happy. She, um, didn't say too much, but interestingly, over the last four years, I've been telling everybody, you know, I'm in this process of becoming a deacon, and and my family's been kind of a little, they don't have that Catholic background, so they don't know what to say, really. But my grandma, having a Catholic background, when I finally got that letter from the bishop here in February of this year saying that, you know, hey, you've been accepted to move forward, she gives me a big old hug, and she says, your, your grandma would be so happy when my grandmother, uh, Clara... So I joined the church. I still remember it. I joined, um, oh, it would have been 2004, Easter Vigil. Beautiful, beautiful night. Because remember, it was kind of, it was warm. It was raining. And, you know, I started outside with a fire. And just kind of remember every part of that night. It was just, you know, coming into the faith. And, and the fun part was, is, you know, as soon as you're part of the Catholic faith, people put you to work. That's what we do. <laughs> so Father Mark McCormick was out there at the time, and so he was grabbing me for this and for that, and pretty soon I was in pastoral council, I was in the Knights of Columbus, and I was doing, you know, everything. I started doing a little bit of adult faith formation, and just really jumped in, you know, both both feet and got involved with the community. I loved it, and I've been there ever since. So one of the things that you mentioned is the Knights of Columbus. Yes. How important of a role in forming you as a Catholic did the Knights of Columbus play? You know, it was an incredibly important part. Um, growing up, you know, I was kind of a little bit of a shy kid, you might say, and didn't like speaking in public and didn't like have the spotlight on me. And the Knights of Columbus were, was an, it's an amazing organization because it, we have a, one of our gentlemen out east has told us many times that it takes good men and makes great men. And that's what it did for me, I have to say. And so as you get involved, people will grab you for leadership positions. At the time, you don't realize what's happening to you, that you're growing. You know, you're, you're like, you're thinking at the time, how can I do this or that? But you just, you, you do it, and pretty soon, you get better at it, and you keep moving up. When did you start considering the diaconate? The diaconate, it's interesting because I think it was about eight years ago, Deacon Greg and Deacon John were looking to start a new class of diaconate candidates. 
And there in Piedmont there, they were going around starting to ask the people that were involved with the parish. You know, Knights of Columbus, quite a few of us, they asked, you know, we're going to have some inquiry sessions coming up. Would you be interested? And that that time, I think, yeah, Teresa was working at the church, and we were, we were already pretty busy. And I'm like, no, 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 this is not a good time, not a good time. But the funny thing was, what, four and a half years ago, no one approached me about the diaconate. All of a sudden, I read about something in the bulletin. They're going to have some inquiry sessions again. I, meant, I heard it mentioned at the announcement at the end of Mass, and I thought, I think I'm going to go check that out. And so I talked to Teresa about that and said, hey, they're having these inquiry sessions. I'd like to go check it out. And so we went, and we listened to Deacon John and Joni Austin talk about the diaconate. And the interesting thing was I started asking questions, and Teresa was like, oh, oh, he's serious. He's <laughs> serious. <laughs> and so from there, we started going out to Aspirin, see it, uh, Terra Sancta, and just in slowly, slowly, we were getting drawn into it more and more and more. And the diaconate, for me, that call to service has always been what's really drawn me. And that's something that the Knights of Columbus have been, you know, pretty good about. We're always men of service. We're strong right arm of the church. So they did have a big impact even on that discernment into the diaconate with their the gifts and the help that they gave you, the confidence to step outside of your shy little child. Yes, shell. <laughs> definitely. Tell me about the formation that you've received in the diaconate. How has that impacted you And how have you been able to bring that out into your parish or into your family right now? Formation, I think the biggest part of formation has been that uh, emphasis on prayer. In the past, our prayer life, I wouldn't say it would be anemic, but yes, it was anemic. You know, we'd go to Mass, but we wouldn't, you know, we'd pray before supper or dinner and whatnot, but uh, pray a little bit, but not on a consistent basis. When formation, you're taught how... To pray. You know, liturgy of the hours is so important, and that has been made a huge impact. And that's something, you know, I just love because that liturgy of the hours is the prayer of the church. One of the ways the formation has actually helped me grow is has been just an awareness of those different ministries. Over the last couple of years, every year we have to have goals, spiritual, pastoral. I've always been gravitating the last three or four years towards the poor. That could be like working with a food pantry or homebound ministry. And those are areas that even I haven't been able to actually do yet because of the fact that I'm in formation, but I'm looking forward to doing that in the future in some way. Can you tell me about other ways that God has worked in your life since you began the diaconate formation? I would say our marriage is stronger. Me and my wife, Teresa's marriage is stronger because we're always praying together. That's one of the things when we're going, first going through marriage prep, um, People will tell you, you need to pray together, you need to grow together. And we would do that to a degree. But now, doing this together, I've felt that, you know, our prayer life is so much stronger because we're praying together every morning and every evening. Your background isn't very strong in the Catholic life. So you must have had some mentors or spiritual guidance throughout the years to get you to where you are now. Can you speak to that? Definitely. Our parents of origin, they will, you know, you know, that we owe them everything, you know, our life. They take care of us. They introduce us to God. But there's always people in our lives that also are along the way help form us. And I look back over the years, a couple sets of people that I know really have helped us. Larry and Joyce Williamson. Larry is actually my um, grandma's godson, and they are also our, the godparents of our daughter, Rachel. And they were also our uh, sponsors for marriage as well. So when we were getting married, they were right there helping us every step of the way, guiding us. 
And another couple is uh, John and Bernie Husera. John and Bernie were our RCI teachers back in 2003 and 4. They have been the best friends since that time period, and they have been there for us throughout our adult lives, and they will be in the future as well. And they've taken that place of being spiritual parents. I think a lot of people have those in their lives that don't maybe recognize it. Our own parents, as we'd love them dearly, but we need those spiritual parents to also guide us as well. Especially in my case, where maybe you know my parents didn't have a strong Catholic background, so you're going to look for people who do have a strong Catholic background. I think that it's important to realize that God sends the right people at the right time to set us up for His work in the future, and having those both of those couples in your life definitely prepared you for the diaconate in ways that you weren't even aware of at the time. True, true. When we were in marriage prep, we met with Larry and Joyce, and they introduced us to what a strong prayer life looks like between couples. As we're going over there and meeting with them you know, monthly or weekly, we are always praying. And Larry was always good about, let us pray, which I'm like, okay, let's pray. You know, it's nothing that I ever did in the past, but he always opened with prayer, and we would um, always close with prayer. And just seeing them as a couple and how they interacted with their children was inspiring. They had they had a strong faith life, and they really taught us how to do that as well. What advice would you give someone considering the diaconate? The advice I would give them is just to trust God. One of the things that, um, as I was considering the diaconate, those feelings will come up in a person like, oh, I'm not good enough, I'm not ready. And this this is natural and true, but like anything, if you waited till you were ready, you would never do it. Think about if you want those who want to become parents. If you wanted to be the best parent ever and said, I'm not going to become a parent until I know everything, you would never be a parent. And so, yes, God calls you. Listen to that call. But you also have to understand that he's going to prepare you. He will prepare the called. He prepares the called. He doesn't call it prepared. We think back, first people that Jesus called were fishermen out of Galilee. I'm sure they're intelligent people, but he, didn't, he wasn't calling out the Pharisees or the scribes. He was calling out just normal people. And then he taught them. And so, as some of you that are considering the diaconate, just realize that, yes, you don't know everything, but don't worry. You don't have to know everything. You'll, be, you'll get it in the end. Well, thank you so much for your wisdom, Philip, and for answering the call and saying yes to the diaconate. Thank you. This is Deacon Greg Sass, Director of the Permanent Diaconate and Diaconate Formation. The diocese has been blessed to have seven men called to orders by Bishop Peter Muich, six as permanent deacons, and one as a transitional deacon for the Diocese of Rapid City. Their ordination is scheduled for 5.30 p.m. Thursday, June 29, 2023, at the Cathedral of Our Lady of Perpetual Help in Rapid City. All are invited to attend the ordination. For more information, visit rapidcitydiocese.org, read the diocese newspaper, West River Catholic, or your parish's bulletin. For more information about the permanent diaconate in the Diocese of Rapid City, contact me at the Chancery, 605-345-3541.